The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. If all you think about is preserving your body and the life that it houses, then you're naturally going to be very fearful of anyone who threatens to harm that body and take away your life. But if your focus, folks, is on your soul and its eternal destination because of Christ and nothing other than because of Christ and his atoning death on the cross, then you can be free from the fear of man. When I used to be a camp counselor, I quickly learned that the most effective tool in discipline was swimming. All the kids love to go swimming, so the threat of losing their swim time that afternoon or the next almost always stopped any misbehavior. Usually all I had to do was say, Hey, do you want to go swimming tomorrow? Instant compliance. There was only one drawback, though. The campers would go home on Saturday morning, so after they finished swimming on Friday, maintaining order got a little more challenging. Oh, and then there were a few kids who didn't really care about swimming, so they weren't afraid of losing their swim time. If I said, hey, do you want to go swimming or not? They'd just say, nope, and go right back to what they were doing. What do you value the most? Satan will use anything that you love more than your relationship with the Lord to get you to do what he wants rather than what the Lord wants. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is leading us in a study from Matthew chapter 10. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside for over 26 years, and these daily Bible classes are an extension of that ministry. We have been considering opposition to the gospel and even outright persecution. How do we face persecution and still boldly proclaim the good news as Jesus told us to do? If Satan says, hey, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, I'll destroy your reputation, how will you answer him? If he threatens you with death, can you count obedience to the Lord as more important than your physical life? Jesus said that's just what we are to do. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us more about it. In the future, everyone will know the truth about you. And the reason that this public knowledge of previously concealed truth frees us from fearing man is because it assures us that in the end, God will vindicate us. Your reputations may be spoiled now, but eventually God will clear your good name. And we only have a good name because of Christ, nothing in and of ourselves. Our reputations, just it's just temporarily damaged. But God will eventually clear up the reputation so that everyone will know who you really are a redeemed believer in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus tells us in the next verse to just boldly proclaim everything he's whispered in the apostles' ears that they've written down, which is called the New Testament. And then go shout it from the rooftops. Go proclaim it to all. In other words, in light of the fact that everything is someday going to be revealed, there's no reason to protect yourself by withholding the truth. It really doesn't matter what people think about you now because eventually they'll know the truth about you. Someday, So just shout it. Shout the truth for all to hear. So the first reason that we can fearlessly proclaim Christ is because it really doesn't matter what anybody says or thinks about us. Because in the end, God's truth will ultimately be revealed. However, what if some of those dangerous wolves do more than just verbally slander us? What if they try to 
kill us? What if they attack us physically, try to take our lives? Well, Jesus has an answer to that scenario as he proceeds to give us the second reason for proclaiming him without any fear. And it's because in addition to the fact that the truth will eventually be known about us, we fearlessly proclaim him also because of the power of the enemy is so limited. The power of our enemy is limited. They're not very strong. Verse 28, Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, once again, Jesus tells us, don't fear man. Don't fear those who will and can persecute us. And he identifies, notice this, these particular persecutors as those who would take your life. He says, do not fear those who kill the body. Simply, folks, a reality of the Christian life that some of Christ's followers will die for the faith. Some will be killed because of their faith. Remember, Jesus said we are not above him. How they treated him, they'll treat us, only at times even worse. So if they killed him, know that they're going to kill some of us too. In fact, all the apostles except the apostle John did die as martyrs. And the history of the Christian church reveals that millions of believers have laid down their lives for the cause of Christ. Millions. And just because believers in the United States thus far have not experienced death for their faith, let's not be so naive to think that that will continue forever. Many Christians around the world are presently being attacked physically and killed for the sake of Christ. And I guarantee you it will eventually happen to us in this country as well. Someday it will happen. Here's just a sampling of the kind of physical persecution of believers that's taking place in other parts of the world. The following story comes from Asia News under the headline, Fanatical Hindus Attack Christian Missionary. This took place in India, the northern, a northern region in India. It took place, by the way, just in September. This is very recent. I quote, Around 50 Hindu fanatics assaulted a Christian missionary Chin Ming Thang, on September 24th, accusing him of proselytism of members of the Tharu tribe, one of the poorest in the country. The tribal people themselves defended Chin, who works as a teacher in the Nojata village in the northern Indian state of Uttar Pradesh. Thang Boy, who educates Tharu children together with Chin, told Asian News, and I quote, these fanatics came to the village in broad daylight, armed with iron rods and even firearms, I crept away, he says. They forcibly entered the room of my colleague, ransacked it and threw his belongings out. Then they dragged him outside. As soon as the villagers realized what was going on, they promptly intervened to defend Chin. The attackers fired threatening shots into the air, but the villagers refused to leave. Had they not intervened, the mob would have lynched him. As the, as the fanatics were leaving, they warned Chin, if you do not quit the village and stop your conversion works, we will kill you. Now imagine, imagine if that were you facing that angry mob and you heard those words, what would you do? Would you be intimidated? Would you back away? How would you face the possibility of being killed by them without being overwhelmed with fear? Or better yet, how would you handle the threat that they've leveled at you of being killed if you continued to evangelize? Would you cave into this fear by ceasing to evangelize? 
Or would you continue to proclaim Christ without any fear? Well, the only way that you could continue to proclaim Christ without any fear is if you understood what Jesus said about the limited power of those who can kill you. Verse 28 again. Now let's get into this and dissect it. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Now, what is he talking about? What he's saying is the reason you don't need to fear those who oppose the gospel is that the worst they can do to you is take your life. That's all. That's all he can do. That's all that man can do. He can end your physical life on earth. But that's all he can do because he's powerless to destroy your soul. That soul, your soul is that part of you which is immaterial. It's invisible and it lives on forever in eternity. Now, Jesus is saying the reason you don't need to fear any man, even the most dangerous of men, is because man's power is so very limited since all they can take is your life. They can't take anything more. Now, you may think, what are you talking about? All they can take is my life. That's all I have. Take my life and it's over for me. But that's really not true. That's not true. That is not a biblical uh, perspective on life because the Bible teaches that you have a soul. That soul, as I said, is that immaterial, invisible part of you. Sometimes it's called the spirit. Here it's called the soul. And that soul lives on for eternity after death. You see, Jesus is giving a contrast between our physical bodies, which are very temporary and they're very subject to death, and our souls, which are eternal and never subject to death. Now, in light of how temporary our physical bodies really are, we need to put some things in perspective. And we need to do that so that we receive the full impact of Christ's words about not fearing man. Though we are certainly not to neglect the upkeep of our bodies as if they didn't matter at all, we do need to keep in mind that we shouldn't put such an unhealthy overemphasis on our bodies that we treat them as a treasure that we... Uh, we have to hang on to at all costs. They are not, not a treasure. It's not something that we have to center our lives around. Remember back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus spoke about those who, who worried about their lives, about preserving their lives and their bodies because they did have limited food supplies. They did have limited clothing supplies. Remember what Jesus said to them, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He said, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life means preserving your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. And then he posed this question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's a brilliant question. For many people, it's not. Life is about eating. Life is about clothing oneself. Life is about pampering the body. Life is about taking care of the body, living at all costs. But Jesus was telling us, isn't life more than that for a believer? Of course it is. What is life like? What, what is our perspective? What is our philosophy of life for a believer? We live for the glory of God. We live to honor him. That's why Jesus closed the Sermon on the Mount by saying in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Life to us is about loyalty to Christ. It's about commitment to him, not focusing on meeting our physical needs. And now Jesus reminded 
them in Matthew chapter 10 and is teaching us that just as it's wrong to worry about preserving your life, so it is also wrong to be fearful of losing your life because our physical bodies are just so very brief and transitory. That's not what life is about for us, about feeding the body, keeping it alive at all costs. Listen to some of the very humbling things the body, the, the Bible says rather about our bodies and you'll see how momentary and short-lived life on earth really is and how much therefore our emphasis should be on our soul, that inner man who will live on forever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul referred to our physical bodies as perishable and weak. Isn't that true? How perishable. He called it in the King James Version corruptible. And it's weak. It's not strong. In 2 Corinthians, Paul referred to our bodies as the outer man and he said it is decaying. Isn't that an understatement? Wrinkles are showing up where they never were. Flab is there. Skin is discolored. Shall I go on and depress you? But that's the body. It is decaying. Paul said the outer man is decaying. Peter speaks of, spoke of his approaching death as the laying aside of his earthly dwelling and his departure. He called life on earth just an earthly dwelling, meaning it was brief. Brief, and then his death was a departure. I'm out of here, he was saying. I'm just here for a short time. And James reminds us of how short and how brief life really is in light of eternity. Listen to what James says in James chapter 4, verse 13. He said, come now. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Now, James is not saying it's wrong to plan ahead. In fact, it's right to plan ahead. It's right to be organized. It's right to think things through. But what James is condemning is the attitude that plans ahead without God. The attitude that assumes that for sure you're going to be here today or tomorrow or a year. You don't know what a day is going to bring. And that's what James says in verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. It's all right to plan for tomorrow, but don't bank on it by leaving God out. He says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Our, our life is just like some uh, cooking air that gets out, some steam. You see it for an instant and then it's gone. And that's why he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Don't leave God out of your plans because understand your life here is very, very brief. Very brief. Now, all of these verses serve as a very healthy reminder to us that it's wrong to live for today and to make the body an idol in our lives and to make our physical lives an idol that we have to preserve them at all costs. Paul said his life was of no account to himself. He was going to finish the course that God had given them. So this life, as we know it, will soon be over, but eternity goes on forever. Therefore, if all you think about is preserving your body and the life that it houses, then you're naturally going to be very fearful, very fearful of anyone who threatens to harm that body and take away your life. But if your focus, folks, is on your soul and its eternal destination because of Christ and nothing other than because of Christ and his atoning death on the cross, then you can be free from the fear of man. And when tempted to back down from proclaiming the gospel because of the fear of death, 
You can overcome that temptation because you understand that all that can be taken from you is your life and not your soul. You're going to die anyway. So if this is God's plan for you to die now, then this is his plan for you to die now. That's really the point that Jesus is making as we go back to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. There is no reason to fear those who kill your body because they can't do anything more to you than that. Since they can't touch what is most important and that's your soul. But listen, there is someone who does have the power to touch your soul. And Jesus said that it is this one that we do need to fear. Verse 28 again. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Instead of being fearful of man, whose power is so limited that all he can do is end your brief life on earth, Jesus tells us that we should fear God. Why? Because God has unlimited power to inflict everlasting punishment on a person in hell. That's what he's saying. Don't fear man, but fear God, because God is not limited in his power as man is. God is unlimited, and he can cast your soul into hell. Now, I don't think we can just leave this here. I think there are so many truths connected to this, this one statement that we need to go over some things and, and keep some things in mind and clarify some things. So let me, let me do that for you. First of all, Jesus wasn't saying that God will ever cast one of his children in hell. He was not suggesting that it is possible for a believer to be cast into hell. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that no Christian will ever be condemned and punished for their sins. Why? Because Christ died in their place. There is no double jeopardy. The sins were paid for once and for all by the Lamb of God. Christ was eternally punished in the believer's place. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul ended Romans chapter 8 by saying, nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible is abundantly clear that our salvation is not dependent upon us keeping on. It's dependent upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we'll never be condemned. So, so put that out of your mind. The Lord was not suggesting that believers need to fear God in a terrorizing way because he might send them to hell. However, those who die without having ever trusted Christ as Lord and Savior will spend eternity in hell. And the Bible emphatically teaches that. Jesus said it himself in John 8, 24, though he did not use the word hell here. This is the thought. He said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Our Lord is saying by dying in their sins, he means that they'll die without God's forgiveness because they did not trust the provision for salvation. They did not trust him. They were relying on their own good works, their own religious deeds, rather than simply his death and his death alone. Those folks who die without God's forgiveness, the Bible says, will be punished eternally in hell for their sins. Now, you may wonder, why is it eternal? Because God is eternally holy. To offend the holiness of God means that forever and ever there is punishment for sin. God is 
perfectly just and his justice demands punishment for sins committed. It is a terrorizing thought to sin against the infinitely holy God. To sin against God who is infinite means there is an infinite punishment for sin. Now, hell may not be a popular subject to speak about these days. It certainly isn't. But the Bible is most clear about the reality of hell. The specific word for hell that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 10 is the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna. It's, it is a reference to the Hinnom Valley. Gehenna, Hinnom. Very similar. The Hinnom Valley, which is just outside the old city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem today is a modern city, but we're talking about the old city of Christ's day, the Valley of Hinnom. And during our Lord's day, that valley was used as a garbage dump. It's not used that way today, but back then it was used as a garbage dump where people used sulfur to burn their trash. That's how it was used. Gehenna then was a place where fires were always burning and worms and maggots just crawled around continuously. And Jesus said, that hell is similar to that. It's like a stinking, smoky, foul-smelling incinerator. That's why in Mark chapter 9, verse 44, he spoke of hell as a place of unquenchable fire where their worm, he said, does not die and the fire is not quenched. Just like the Hinnom Valley, but a lot worse. He also spoke of hell as a place of outer darkness where there will be only misery and despair. He called it gnashing of teeth. In Luke 16, Jesus revealed that hell is also a place where, where in its inhabitants are tormented because they have conscious memories. Remember Abraham talking to that man who died and went to, to hell? He, he said, son, remember. That's the torment. Without doubt, hell is the most horrific of all places. Here's how David Klotfelter in his excellent book, Sinners in the Hands of a Good God, described this place of eternal horrors. He wrote, hell then is a hopeless place, devoid of the light of love or joy. It does not seem possible that it is a place from which the light of truth has completely fled. At the least, the damned are forced to face the truth of their own sinfulness and God's anger toward them. But that may well be the only truth that they know and that their minds twist this way and that way in the effort not to know the things they do know. I know plenty of people who don't believe in hell. No matter what label you put on it, the Bible repeatedly warns of eternal punishment for those who reject the offer of eternal life through faith in Christ. To say there is no place of eternal punishment is to disregard quite a few New Testament passages. And it's because of the horror of that faith that we share Christ. As Pastor Steve said, the authentic Christian is in no danger, but our love for the lost should constrain us to give unbelievers every opportunity to avoid that terrible and eternal doom. If we're going to be afraid of something, let's not be afraid of our persecutors. Let's be afraid for them. Thank you for joining us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in a study of the 10th chapter of the book of Matthew. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 26 years. Now his messages are available over the air thanks to this great radio station and the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. 
We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who are first faithful to your own church. Today's broadcast was the middle of a three-part message. If you would like to hear that message all at once with no announcements, you can order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. If you would like to hear today's class again, it is available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Feel free to download it for later, or you can listen online. The same is true for the previous lessons that you will find on the archives page. There is also a place to sign up for our free podcasting service. All that and more is at versebyverseradio.org. That word destruction has tripped up a lot of people. Some people say it means annihilation. Now, I've destroyed a lot of things over the years, some of it pretty expensive, but I've never annihilated anything. God has made some terrible promises for the rebellious, but some fabulous promises for his followers. We still have more to learn from this passage about the great comfort we can find knowing that as Christ followers, we are in the hands of Almighty.